Previously on Heavy Metal Historian, we studied the origins of heavy metal and where it came from, and the wide range of influences that shaped the genre, from folklore to history to contemporary events. Now, in this edition, we try to discover the roots, ancestry, and genesis behind one of the most influential subgenres of metal, thrash. We look into the origins of thrash metal. Welcome to Episode 9, I'm Greg Davies, your heavy metal historian. Apart from the early metal of the first big four, Black Sabbath, Deep Purple, Led Zeppelin, and Blue Cheer, if there was one other subgenre of metal that would prove to be as prominent and important, it would be thrash metal. The style would move on to be hugely inspirational in the development of crossover genres, the rise of death metal, the forward movement of black metal, but more recently, a resurgence in thrash in many bands from around the world. But that's really about the future of thrash. For this episode, we're interested in looking into where it came from and what the influences were that led to the pioneering work by bands in the Bay Area throughout the 1980s. To understand the origins of thrash, we have to go back in time and earlier than you might think. One of the key elements of thrash metal is a formidable focus on technical musicianship and the development of complex musical arrangements based on the double bass drumming and shredding style guitar riffs. The first period when this type of guitar work arose was back in the 1960s with the emergence of surf rock. Strongly associated with surf culture in California, hence its name, surf rock was predominantly an instrumental genre that would prove to be a massive genetic imprint upon the development of thrash metal. With speedy riffing and technical use of scale to develop hooks, it was one of the first rock genres to exploit and explore the strength of the work on a bass guitar in conjunction with the lead guitar work. Imaginably, the originators of this style were Cliff Richard's backing band known as The Shadows, who were also notable for their successful solo work away from Cliff as well. But The Shadows moved forward to inspire a new generation of Californian guitarists who felt the style was best matched to the surf culture of the day. Dick Dale was a significant pioneer of the time and has been a vastly underrated guitarist, while the song Wipeout by The Safaris is fundamentally credited for pushing the genre into the mainstream and has become a culturally notable song often used in soundtracks for films, to fit the time frame and surroundings of the story. The Deltones were also very successful in the genre, but the relevance of surf rock's influence on thrash wouldn't really surface in the minds of metalheads until Anthrax covered the song Pipeline on their compilation Attack of the Killer Bees in 1991. The tune was originally by the Shantays, their one and only hit, but has become culturally relevant and covered by a vast number of musicians. Surf rock may have been a notable influence towards thrash, but after this, elements of the blues from the era, along with the rock and roll antics of the Beatles and the Rolling Stones, also established some indispensable groundwork for future genres that would move on to inspire thrash musicians. 
It was in the rise of early metal that became an important historical event. While the work of Cream, Deep Purple, Led Zeppelin and Blue Cheer would prove to be big properties of stimulus for thrash, it was really Black Sabbath that became a key linchpin in the influence of the genre. Principally regarded as the first metal band, Black Sabbath brought the ideals of blues and rock into a lyrical territory of occult interests among others that would show to be a fruitful diet for the young aspiring musicians who would populate the thrash bands. While their first two albums were largely significant, it was their 1973 album Sabbath Bloody Sabbath that would become the most high-ranking for thrash musicians. Coupled with the riffy, stout, killing yourself to live was the iconic Sabra Cadabra, which would later be covered by Metallica. But the cornerstone of the release that would be the most prominent was its title track. Sabbath Bloody Sabbath begins with a signature and defining solid riff from Tony Iommi, except that it was the bridge and transition in the song that makes it so iconic. The shift from early metal into something that was probably heavier than anything anyone had heard before at that point. Metal was flourishing as a new genre, out of New York City came a band that would, for most thrash bands, turn out to be their first favourite band. A band that would first inspire them to pick up instruments, and then begin exploring for additional technical and difficult music beyond that. The 1970s was the most successful era for this band, KISS, and while their makeup, outfits and stage shows made them larger than life, the spectacle added to the music that captivated their countless fans. Numerous thrash metal musicians from Jason Newstead to Scott Ian to Dimebag Darrell to Charlie Benante to Alex Skolnick and beyond have cited Kiss as their first introduction to the potency and significance of music, and from there they discovered other bands that would assist in the development of the thrash style. But then again, that's not to say Kiss's music itself wasn't a big influence on thrash. The grungy darkness of God of Thunder and Almost Human was a commanding sway on the hopeful musicians with the exploration of Gene Simmons' demon persona eventually developing into the darker side of lyrical concepts that some thrash bands would explore. At the same time, the blue-collar but astronomically spacey lead riffing of Ace Frehley would also be of notable encouragement. Even Peter Chris would prove to be a big influence on future drummers, as was his successor, Eric Carr, while Paul Stanley created the template for a frontman that many would later use and copy. Kiss from 1973 to 1976 had a sonic impact on musicians that was comparable 
to early Black Sabbath material. And songs like Deuce, She, Detroit Rock City, and Parasite would come to be memorable tunes that would later be covered by the bands from the thrash scene. And though Kiss were perhaps the prime band through which the thrashers would find influence, Kiss would turn out to be a major stepping stone into the discovery and broadening of musical horizons for the aspiring youngsters that would later establish the first groundswell of thrash metal. Around the same time period, Queen was achieving huge success in the United Kingdom. While their rock opera line of attack to the early metal movement was well received and would be a big influence on bands like Def Leppard and Extreme, it was in their hard-rocking songs in which thrash bands took the most notice. From Tie Your Mother Down to We Will Rock You, Queen provided sonic inspiration for these early fans, but none more so in the song that has been retroactively labelled as perhaps the first thrash song ever, Stone Cold Crazy. The subsequent band to have a decisive effect on the young thrashers also hailed from the UK. Headed by the legendary Lemmy Kilmister, Motorhead would possibly be one of the most influential bands on not only the development of thrash metal, but be a huge stimulus into the evolution and materialization of countless other metal subgenres as well. Motorhead's first works, as well as the success of the Ace of Spades album and the self-titled single, would be incredible fuel for the progressing thrashers. However, it was a single key song out of Motorhead's entire catalogue that would arguably be the most influential of all. The title track from the 1979 album Overkill was the first known usage of the propulsive double bass kick credited to drummer Filthy Phil Taylor. band incorporated double bass drums into their music, but it was the first time a band deliberately pushed the element into its valid next level, a development that would eventually result in bands and artists claiming that Motorhead was also part of the thrash genre as well. Before we go, and it's with Motorhead that we look into the larger scene they were also a part of that was of a major encouragement to the growth of thrash, the new wave of British heavy metal. While thrash musicians also credit bands such as Judas Priest and Black Sabbath as big British influences on their music, it was the bands of the new wave that caused considerable sway over their development. Ruled by Iron Maiden, Saxon, Def Leppard and Samson, among many others, the core successful bands from this new British wave 
were big favorites of the bands that would eventually create thrash metal. But there was another element that these young developing musicians craved. More. The youthful fans that would become thrash musicians began a large movement that was essentially the internet before there was an internet. Interacting via fanzines and pen pals, the fans would contact others around the world and trade recorded cassette tapes containing more of the latest new wave of British heavy metal music with each other. It was the beginnings of a new underground movement that in and of itself would prove to be instrumental in pushing the thrash advance into the mainstream. These fresh aspiring metalheads began chasing after music from bands that were harder to get their hands on in the United States. Bands like Blitzkrieg, Angel Witch, Holocaust and Tank came to be popular among the young thrashers, but it would be Diamond Head's Lightning to the Nations album from 1980 that would turn into the biggest. The legacy left by songs such as Helpless, Sucking My Love and It's Electric on this album would prove testament to the intensity of the thrash movement, with countless bands citing Diamond Head as one of their most favourite from the Nawabin movement, and mainly through the underground tape trading network, while their signature song would prove to be the most significant to the thrash bands and their fans. Am I Evil? another movement beginning in the UK that would be a big stimulus on the fans that would become the thrash band members. It was the intensification of punk rock that took a big hold on the young thrashers, which is ironic because there was a polarizing divide of opposition and rivalry amid the metal bands of the time and the early punk bands. Despite the fact these pioneering bands from the UK like The Clash and The Damned and the pop culture smashing Sex Pistols and also the United States based Ramones would all be of relative persuasion to the young thrash musicians, it was actually the next wave of punk rock and hardcore bands that would win them over. Discharge, Black Flag, Minutemen, Dead Kennedys, Minor Threat, these bands were the bible of punk to the thrash bands, if not for the music then most definitely for the lyrical concepts. The rebellious and revolutionary political commentary of the punk crusade was as significant as the counterculture movements of the 1960s, but far more relevant to the listeners at the time. As politics shifted to a conservative timber in the 1980s, it would be these hardcore punk artists that would set an important tone and attitude for many of the thrash bands to come. 
But there was an additional influence, both musical and lyrical, that would prove to be of significance to the thrash bands. It was in the combination of the new wave of British heavy metal, shock rock, and the establishing of the first wave of black metal from which Venom arose. In the 21st century, it is a little difficult to see or understand how significantly shocking Venom was at the time, but perhaps by making some film comparisons, it may be possible to make it a little easier for our younger listeners to understand. The 1970s and early 1980s took a satanic supernatural theme that was widespread throughout horror movies during the era, and movies like The Wicker Man, The Omen, Mark of the Devil, and The Exorcist were all representational of a riding fear among the Western populace of the era, Satan. Often confused with Wicca and paganism in pop culture during this period of history, Satanism was something considered to be feared. It was almost like a prototype of the Satanic panic of the 80s and 90s, exceptionally frightening to the moral Christian majority, offensive, and largely considered dark, arcane, and of the occult. While bands like Black Sabbath pottered in the occult and Tales of Satan, they were, like many of the aforementioned horror movies, skirting the edges and just touching on the subject matter with only a little depth. It was Venom that changed all of this. Rather than just making it a part of their subject matter, Venom adopted the concept of Satanism. Instead of paranoid war pig Sabbaths, they rammed it out into the face of the masses, telling them welcome to hell and that they were in league with Satan. The strength and impudence that Venom pushed out with their imagery and message and theme shocked and offended many at the time, and was a key influence on the arising thrash musicians. Metallica demonstrated this with Jump in the Fire, but it would be Slayer that would embrace the black metal of Venom and instill it into their music and image. In fact, if you look at early photos of Slayer, they look very much like a Venom clone, with a dash of black makeup as well. By taking the musical technicalities of surf rock, and the early metal influence of Black Sabbath and Kiss, and the double bass power of Motorhead, with the metallic sound of the new wave of British heavy metal, and the dark and evil lyrical territory of Venom and early black metal artists, and the attitude of anti-establishment and revolutionary protests of the hardcore punk scene, the first thrash bands put this music together and began to surface in the Bay Area of San Francisco in the early 1980s. The first song to be credited as the first ever thrash song from the thrash development itself came from a band called Leather Charm in Southern California. The band eventually broke up, but the singer-guitarist credited with writing the tune eventually ran into a young drummer, a historic meeting that would establish the first thrash band and the beginning of a new history. That band was Metallica, established by James Hetfield and Lars Ulrich, and that first ever song was Hit the Lights.
Metallica, rounded out by guitarist Dave Mustaine and bassist Ron McGovney, hit upon an audience in San Francisco. Cliff Burton eventually replaced Ron McGovney, and Kirk Hammett eventually joined the band after Dave Mustaine was dismissed. Mustaine would eventually move on to form Megadeth. Meanwhile, Jeff Hanneman and Kerry King joined strengths to form Slayer. The darker satanic side embraced by the band became popular among early fans, while Anthrax were also developing into a notorious thrash band at the time, credited with actually naming the genre due to their song Metal Thrashing Mad. Other bands like Testament, Exodus, Overkill, and the German band Creator would help push the thrash scene further and across the world. Thanks mostly to the massive expansion of the tape trading network we mentioned earlier, the big four, Metallica, Slayer, Megadeth, and Anthrax, with many other thrash bands, began their journey to their future successes, traveling on a road first paved by surf rock, Kiss, Black Sabbath, the new wave of British heavy metal, and hardcore punk. But that, in and of itself, is a story for another time. Because now it's time for a prehistoric mosh. Dick Dale, as mentioned, was one of the most pioneering guitarists of the instrumental surf rock era, and were proved to have a big effect on the early thrash bands. His riffing and shredding style of playing was later emulated by several of them, and yet he remains largely underrated. In 1962, on his album Surfer's Choice, he covered one of the most noteworthy renditions of Ghost Riders in the Sky ever recorded. Let's have a listen. Thank you. 
And now, let's take a glance at this week in metal news. Legendary bass guitarist, singer and songwriter Jack Bruce has died. The musician was a key member of the early metal band Cream, one of the most influential bands of the era, with their album Disraeli Gears with the songs White Room and Sunshine of Your Love. Jack Bruce passed away in Suffolk in the UK, surrounded by his family on October 25. He was 71 years old. That monstrous female-fronted Finnish metal band Battle Beast has announced that they will be releasing their third album, entitled Unholy Saviour, on January 9, 2015. The album contains 11 tracks, and the band will be going on a European tour with Sabaton in January. Cavalera Conspiracy have released a new video for the song Babylonian Pandemonium from their upcoming album. The band, led by Sepultura founders Max and Igor Cavalera, are putting out the new release on November 4, and it is titled Pandemonium. More news is out about Glenn Danzig's current projects. The former misfit is continuing work on his long-awaited covers EP, which is now due for release in March 2015. Danzig would follow up with a new studio album in the fall of 2015, and he is also reportedly working on another covers EP that will be exclusively songs by Elvis Presley. Gene Simmons continues to propagate the marketing genius label next to his name with the release of another Be Like Me and You'll Succeed book. Named Me Incorporated, Build an Army of One, Unleash Your Inner God and Win in Life and Business, has been released to mixed reviews. Despite his reputation, Gene's marketing genius label has recently been disputed by his fellow bandmates in their own book releases. A new supergroup is on the horizon. Revolution Saints featuring Dean Castronovo of Journey, Doug Aldrich of Whitesnake and Jack Blades of Night Ranger and Damn Yankees have announced their new project with a new album already recorded and prepped for a 2015 release. The album is said to be of a classic melodic rock style and was produced by Alessandro Del Vecchio, formerly of the band Hardline. Foo Fighters have released their new song, The Feast and the Famine, available for streaming. The track is from the upcoming November 10 album, Sonic Highways, and can be heard on YouTube. Meanwhile, Ozzy Osbourne has added some clarification to recent Black Sabbath news. Osbourne anticipates the band will finally disband after their next and final studio album and tour. Ozzy is also hopeful Bill Ward will be involved, stating he hopes that Ward sorts all his problems out for the next tour. Ozzy plans to continue his solo work after the conclusion of Black Sabbath. Swedish hard rocker's Sister Sin, fronted by phenomenal female vocalist Liv Jagrell, have made their entire Black Lotus album available for streaming. The album was scheduled for release this week and can be heard in full on YouTube and other music streaming services. And finally, we have a follow-up on the story of an Exodus fan who was arrested for posting lyrics on his Facebook page. 31-year-old James Evans from Kentucky was detained for several days for making terroristic threats after he posted lyrics to the band's song Class Dismissed a Hate Primer. Initially, we reported Evans was released pending further legal examinations, but as of the release of this episode, all charges against him were dismissed when the ACLU of Kentucky stepped in and took his defense, citing the case as being a First Amendment issue. Links to the news can be found in the show notes, and if you find any interesting metal news online, be sure to share it at reddit.com slash r slash metal news. On the next Heavy Metal Historian, we re-examine how the pages of history have influenced metal and take a look at another serial killer that was of significant influence to a vast range of metal subgenres and songs. 
With her victims numbering as many as 650, according to some historical estimates, we look at history's first prolific female serial killer and the effects her crimes had on concepts and content covered by many heavy metal bands. We look into the Countess of Blood, Elizabeth Bathory. Keep up with us by subscribing to the podcast via iTunes or Stitcher. Follow the show on Facebook or at MetalPodcast666 on Twitter. Send us a note if there's a topic you'd like Heavy Metal Historian to research or report on, or if you have questions you'd love answered. Plus, you can find me on the Blendover podcast over at Blendover.com and on the Doctor Who TARDIS blend over at GeeksofDoom.com. We'll catch you on the next Heavy Metal Historian, Hails and Horns. Until then, most people will think of the Big Four when they think of Thrash, or perhaps the Big Eight if you include Testament, Overkill, Exodus and Creator. But one band that originated out of that original Bay Area thrash scene in the United States are highly underrated and are often omitted when people discuss the scene. Here is that band. Their name is Hyrax, with one of their most significant songs from their catalogue. From their latest album, this is Black Smoke, as our closing headbanger.
Let's go out!